who is your favorite statist? <laughs> Whoa, that's vicious. <laughs> that's underhanded. I, I, I wouldn't expect. I thought you were a nice guy. <laughs> favorite statist. Wow. Come on, everyone has one. The only good status is a dead status. So that <laughs> status is my favorite. I don't know. No. Uh, FDR, he's a good status and he's dead. He's my favorite status. But any any dead status is my favorite. Oh my gosh, this is great. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. Rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, it's Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Rave Truth, the beautiful Raylene Lightheart. Hi, guys. Hello, Johnny. How you doing tonight? I am so excited for the show, and it's, you know, there's a lot of wildfires right now, so it's kind of smoky outside, so I've been cooped up in here. How about you? Same thing. Like yesterday, I couldn't even see, you know, it's so bad, the smoke out here. It is so bad mm-hmm. that, like, I started sneezing just, like, spontaneously yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, you know, it's really cool, though. I think our guest that we have today would probably say it's the government's fault that it's smoke here. Definitely mismanagement. <laughs> it is mismanagement. Uh, so you ready to bring on our guest, Raylene? I cannot wait. Okay, here we go. Walter Block is an Austrian school economist and an anarcho-capitalist. Walter holds the Harold E. Worth Eminent Scholar Endowed Chair in Economics at the J.A. Butt School of Business at Loyola University, New Orleans, and is a senior fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama. He is best known for his 1976 book, Defending the Undefendable, which takes contrarian positions in defending acts which are illegal and disreputable. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers tie-downs and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Walter Block! so much for being here sir my pleasure always good to be with you <laughs> well it's awesome that you're here man and uh you know you've been kind of a controversial guy in the libertarian movement for a while which is a good thing i think because mm-hmm. at least people know who you are <laughs> you know you're not really going anywhere if you're not controversial walter and uh i went back on youtube a couple of weeks ago and i i saw this video you did and i just thought it was fantastic it was on sociobiology and i just thought it was fascinating you kind of maybe go over a little bit with us because i think the audience would really like to hear your thoughts on i'd be glad to but first before i do yes sir. what i'd like to do is talk about smoke uh, you people were complaining about the smoke yes yeah and as far as i'm concerned all problems are uh created by government <laughs> I and, uh, every, every problem uh, from cancer to smoke to i don't know um, um bad breath whatever <laughs> any problem you mention it's always government's fault Uh, And I have uh, general principles and a specific one about uh, forest fires. The general one is they take half the GDP Uh and we'd be doubly rich if we had all our GDP and we'd be able to put some money toward cancer cures and uh, getting to the moon and stuff like that. 
Right. And secondly, with their half of the GDP, they uh, promulgate all sorts of rules and regulations which make our half of the GDP even less efficient. So we're doubly poor, once one, because they take half our money, right. and two, because they, they uh, make it not impossible, but difficult for us to create wealth. Okay, now... With regard to the smoke and, and the forest fires, uh, I, I'm trying to get data for this, but I don't have data for it. But what I'd like to do, I have a hypothesis. My hypothesis is that there'll be more forest fires on government-owned forests than on private forests. Uh -huh. Why? Why is this my, hypo uh, my hypothesis? Well, because if you're a private uh, forestry uh, company, Johnny, and uh, you have a forest fire on your land, you're going to lose money. Yes. And if you don't uh, prevent forest fires very well, uh, you're going to go broke and someone else is going to take over your forest. That's true. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance that you'll do something. Now, I'm not sure what, uh, you know, maybe cut swaths of uh, uh, land so that the, uh, the fire can't leap too far or get rid of the underbrush. I don't know. I'm not a, a forest. Uh, that is part of the maintenance. It is cleaning the underbrush and getting the old growth, like keeping the good trees and getting rid of the old stuff. Mm hmm. Right, right. Okay, well, but I think if you're a private uh, owner, you'll do that better. Uh -huh. Whereas if you're a government bureaucrat and you don't do a good job, you don't lose money, you don't lose uh, your job, you don't lose anything. So I expect better results from private forests than government forests. Uh, I don't have the data for it. All I have is a hypothesis, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I'm going to try to collect data on this. And it is my view. And I, uh, I fully expect, based on my research and everything else, from roads to garbage collection to, uh, I don't know, to uh, delivery of uh, postal services, that the uh, government will do a poorer job than, than the private market. And I see no reason why forest fires would be an exception to this general rule. I agree, Walter. And I think you're right. I mean, I would have a vested interest in making sure that my land wasn't going to be set on fire. And if it was... I would take care of it really quick. Whereas and if, they have, and if you didn't, you'd lose money and you'd go broke. Which that's is right. Good. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm also endangering other people, but they have no incentive to put it out. That's what I'm thinking. They have no real incentive. Right. Right. The government has. Well, they have some incentive. They're human beings. They have grandchildren. They don't want. The, you know, they they they're against forest forest. Right. I'm willing to uh, concede that to the devil. But uh, they don't have the economic incentives, which is very important. Absolutely. Okay, now let's talk about sociobiology. Why did I get into this? I got into this because I'm puzzled. On the one hand, libertarianism is the best philosophy ever made. It's better than sliced bread. It's the most wonderful thing. Peace, prosperity, uh, voluntary trade, uh, no initiation of violence. It's just marvelous. Uh -huh. And yet, how many people are libertarians? Well, not that many. Maybe 1% of the electorate, 3% of the electorate, maybe 10% if you define it a little bit more broadly. Right. Uh, low tax liberals. But why Why so so few? Why does Ron Paul get an audience of, uh, I don't know, 10,000 when he should have uh, 10, 10 million or 100 million? Uh, why isn't Murray Rothbard uh, better known, uh, as well known as, I don't know, um, Krugman or, um, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Shakespeare, for that matter? Right, right, right. <laughs> and my attempted explanation is sociobiological. Okay. So, what is sociobiology? Sociobiology is the theory that says we behave the way we behave because of what it took to live and give birth to children and keep the genes into the next generation. Sure. Uh, 
of human beings when we were in the trees or in the caves, oh, a million years ago, or whenever we were in the trees or the caves. So, for example, uh, if in our tribe, Johnny, this week I'm sick, you help me, and next week uh, you're sick and I help you, our tribe is going to survive. Whereas in this other tribe, you know, uh, Joe is sick and Pete doesn't help him, and then Pete's sick and Joe doesn't help him, that tribe is probably not going to do as well. Right. Another thing is a baby cries. Well, mm-hmm. with us human beings, when a baby cries, we uh, <laughs> we're very highly motivated. Yeah, we jump. Yeah, we jump up and we say, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Yes, we try to help. And if there were a tribe uh, that had the same brain capacity as us, and the same strength, and the same opposable thumb, and the same everything else, but they didn't worry about babies, well, they wouldn't survive. Mm. Okay, so that's sort of the the background of sociobiology. The, namely, the reason we are the way we are is because of what is what was required millions of years ago uh, to survive, and that stuff got embedded in us. It got hardwired in us. Mm-hmm. We are uh, just by nature. We are driven to be beneficial to other people. Now, yes. there are two ways to be beneficial to other people. There are two ways. There's the explicit and implicit cooperation. Explicit cooperation is charity. You help me. I help you. It's uh, being nice. It's, um, you know, somebody, I don't know, if, if we're in a movie theater and somebody is coughing and, and writhing on the floor, we'll call an ambulance. That's explicit cooperation. Right. What is implicit cooperation? And that explicit cooperation is hardwired into us very, very deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, implicit cooperation? Implicit cooperation is the, the market system. Interesting. Uh, the free enterprise system is also a way of implicitly cooperating. For example, New Orleans went through Katrina about 10 years ago, and uh, there were price gougers. What's a price gouger? A price gouger is somebody who charges triple, quadruple, 10 times as much right. for orange juice or diapers or milk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a way of cooperating. It sounds horrible. It's awesome. Uh, it sounds it sounds horrible to people who are only hardwired for explicit benevolence. This is implicit benevolence, and very few people are hardwired for this, or even hardwired to to uh, comprehend this once it's explained to them. How is uh, price gouging helpful? Well, uh, right now uh, we're in New Orleans and we're starving and we're needy, and uh, people in Montana have. Two possible motivations to help us. One is benevolence or explicit cooperation. They should come down here. They should send gifts. The other is implicit cooperation markets, namely earn a profit. Come down here with a truckload of orange juice and uh, sell it at triple or quadruple. That's a motivation. So if we allow price gouging, more Montanans or more people from God knows where, uh, California, New York, will come down to New Orleans and help us. The second way that price gouging helps is we're now going into um, uh, Walmart. And the first hundred people at the old prices, what what are we going to do? Hoard everything. Everything. We're going to grab everything. Right. I'm not going to leave anything for the people at the end of the line because, you know, we're scared. Our baby needs milk and we're going to get 20 quarts of milk, even though we we only ordinarily buy two or three. That's at the old prices. Now, if milk were $30 a quart, Mm -hmm. we would be more cooperative with the people in the back of the line. We would say, whoa, you know, I'd really like to take 20 of these, but 20 of these at $30 a quart is uh, 600 bucks. And, you know, that's just for milk. And most of it's going to get spoiled anyway. Right about the electricity. So we are 
implicitly uh, cooperative through price gouging, but very, very few people can appreciate that. Only mutants like like the three of us and all other libertarians and, and good economists, right. we're really mutants because we uh, either uh, naturally uh, adopted this implicit cooperation or after it was taught to us in Economics 101 and we read a book by Henry Hazlitt or Murray Rothbard or Ludwig von Mises, we got it. Yes. Whereas our friends on the left, some of them are really good hearted. I mean, Bernie Sanders, he's a nice guy. He really wants to help people. It's just that his idea of helping people is only explicit cooperation. The idea of implicit cooperation through markets, it just goes right past him, right over his head. And yet with the best will in the world, I mean, he's a nice guy. I went to high school with him. I know him. I was on the track team with him. He really is a, a lovely person, but he doesn't know economics and and he uh, he just can't understand how we can implicitly cooperate with each other through markets. So that's my explanation. It's a socio-biological explanation uh, as to why uh, we behave the way we behave. By the way, I wrote a paper on this, and we found out that there were markets about 10,000 years ago. The proof of this is we go to some tribe 10,000 uh, years ago, and they had, oh, I don't know, 3,000 pots, way more than they could use. And mm -hmm. 20 miles down the, the stream, there were... the um, 3,000, um, I don't know, fish hooks. And we assume they were trading. So we have some openings. We have some hard wiring for, for um, uh, implicit cooperation through markets. But uh, these are very superficial. Only 10,000 years ago or maybe 15,000 years ago. Whereas we go way back to when we were apes or monkeys or whatever we were. And even before that, I mean, uh, the deer, the mother deer is helping the baby deer. So the, the explicit cooperation, the benevolence goes back to us as mammals and maybe even is cold-blooded creatures. So that's my explanation as to why there are so few libertarians because we're mutations. We're weirdos. <laughs> I love it. I love it. One quick question, Walter. How does that relate to women in the workforce? With oh my gosh, I love, I, I wanted to know that too. Great. <laughs> Well, this sociobiology has a lot of explanatory power, uh, and it certainly explains uh, the male-female uh, differences. For example, in our tribe, the tribe that the three of us came from, the cool tribe. If a man saw a 22-year-old girl, he said, "Whoop de doo let me at her." Right, right. If he saw a 60-year-old woman, <laughs> and some 60-year-old women are very pretty. Right. I think uh, Madonna just turned 60. She's she did. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what we say is, uh, you know, uh, not that interested. Now, there was this other tribe, right. not our tribe, the tribe that went extinct. And they saw a 22-year-old girl and they said, eh, not ripe, you know, ignore her. And they saw a 60-year-old woman and they said, whoop-de-doo, let me at her. Well, that tribe didn't survive. Huh. Right. So one reason why uh, we, the survivors, you look at a 22-year-old girl and they are the ingenue. They are the movie stars. When they get to be 60, they're the mother in the movies. Uh -huh. And a lot of the actresses complain. They say, well, you know, I used to get these great parts, but now I'm 52 and I can't get them anymore. Well, the reason is because of sociobiology. Men uh, have this uh, genetic predisposition or this hard wiring uh, to be interested in uh, girls who are 22 or 25 or whatever, namely uh, childbearing ages so that's one uh, explanation wow that makes sense it really does yeah i actually think that this might be the way to get to the rational leftists i, I think that the way you're deconstructing this do when you problem solve walter do you start from the the problem and go backwards because the way you come to your solutions and, and explanations is a little different than other people how do you solve an issue boy that's a tough question i don't know it that's just sort of comes at me I, i'm taking a shower and 
<laughs> all of a sudden I got this idea where I'm, I'm half asleep and I get this idea. I have to have a pad beside my bed so I can write it down because if I don't write it down, I'll just forget it and I won't sleep that whole night. I'll keep thinking about it. I don't know where I get my ideas. They just sort of pop into my head. Uh, sometimes I fudge. Namely, I know what the right answer is and then I have to concoct a libertarian theory that will get me there. For example, yeah. I know that the right answer is, uh, or I know that the wrong answer is everybody on earth dies. Oh, okay. that's that's the wrong answer. So I have to come up with something for the right answer. So let's take the case of the Martians. The Martians are all powerful, right? And they're nasty. And they say that unless um, we kill innocent person Joe, the guy next guy walking down the street, they're going to blow up the whole earth and kill everyone, including Joe. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And yet we libertarians have this view that the non-aggression principle, it's its not cool, it's not right, it's not ethical, it's not uh, legal to kill Joe. He's a totally innocent person. So how are we going to solve this? Remember, we fudged. We know that the right answer is to not <laughs> let the Martians do their thing. Right. So the, uh, the concoction that I came up with, because I have a weird mind, is the following. Namely, one of us, me, I go and I kill Joe. <laughs> and then uh, you guys hold a ticker tape parade in my honor. Uh, and you give me a hero's medal because, you know, I, I didn't really want to do it, but I had to do it because I saved the whole world. And then you execute me. But that would be, that would actually be logical. Well, the, the point is, you see, libertarian theory, uh, we now get to delve a little bit more deeply into libertarian theory. A good first approximation is the non-aggression principle. Right. But I think a deeper, better understanding of the libertarian uh, principles uh, or libertarianism is under what conditions is it justified to use violence? Yeah. And if I kill Joe, it's justified to use violence against me. Now, the reason I did it was, uh, you know, not the ordinary I killed Joe because I wanted to take his money or, you know, I'm, I'm not really a low life criminal. I'm a high minded criminal. I did it to save the world. Right. But still, I did it. Right. So the libertarian theory is now what happens to me? Well, You're what happens to me yeah. is uh, yeah. either the death penalty or or I go to Joe's parents or his heirs or whoever it is uh, because uh, the crime I committed was not against society. It was against Joe and his and his um, heirs. And I say, look, uh, please forgive me. I loved, you know, I didn't really want to kill Joe, but, you know, th these Martians. Or take another case. I'm now a libertarian concentration camp guard. And uh, the way the concentration camp guards work for Nazis, you have to kill 100 uh, Jews or uh, uh, blacks or uh, non-Aryans, gays, whatever. You have to kill 100 a day. And if you kill less than 90, they'll find you out and they'll kill you. So I go and I, I volunteer and I become a Nazi concentration camp guard and I kill 90 people every day thus saving 10. And at the end of the period, uh, I've uh, saved, I don't know, a thousand people and I've uh, killed 9,000 people. And uh, I'm now brought into the bar uh, and we're having the Nuremberg trial uh, for me. And I admit it. I say, yes, I killed 9,000 people. I saved 1,000. And the reason I killed the 9,000 was to save 1,000. And if I didn't do it, all 10,000 would have died. And I recognize that libertarian theory uh, can put me to death because, heck, I killed 9,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. However, I plead with the heirs of the 1,000 people. And I say, look, I wish I could have, uh, you know, saved your brother or, you know, or, or rather the, the heirs of the 9,000 people that I, uh, that I killed. And I say, I wish I could have saved your child, your uncle, your father. I couldn't. I, I just uh, randomly, uh, you know, saved only one out of 10. So if you want to kill me, you have that right. However, uh, if you want to show mercy, I would be, uh, you know, very willing to accept the mercy. Right. This is my uh, libertarian concentration camp guard thesis. And it uh, comes about 
through fudging because I know the right answer is to save a thousand people rather than let 10,000 people go, you know, save uh, 1,000 if possible. So you're using human behavior. It's like another form of praxeology. Yeah, it is sort of praxeological. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be logical. I'm, I'm trying to uh, delve deeply into what libertarianism really is all about. And I, I start with the non-aggression principle, but it doesn't work. The non-aggression principle does not work against the Martians and it doesn't work against the Nazis. Uh, we need something more. And so what I deduce or infer or uh, conclude from this little operation is that a deeper meaning of libertarianism is not so much don't um, initiate violence against uh, non-aggressors or against innocent people, but rather what happens to you if you do? And uh, the only justified uh, use of uh, violence is in retaliation or in defense. Walter, really quick, you were talking about uh, you were talking about implicit and explicit benevolence. Yes. Do you think statism or collectivism has been hardwired into our DNA for survival reasons? Well, I don't like the word collectivism because there's nothing wrong with voluntary collectivism. You know, uh, a team sport is is a collective. I mean, if sure. we're really against collectivism, we would be only in favor of individual sports like track or swimming, and we'd be against <laughs> okay. basketball or football. Uh, you know, collective enterprises are fine as long as they're voluntary. You know, the problem is not so much collectivism, it's coercive collectivism. You're forced into the commune or you're forced into into the government. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, I'm sort of, um, I don't know, a stickler or picky or something about language. Sure. Uh, so I know what you meant. No, so I understand. Yeah. Ask me the question again. I mean, basically, do you think the, the need to be ruled, right? How about that? Or statism is hardwired into our DNA. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I think uh, that probably there was some benefit in having a tribal leader who would, uh, uh, who would uh, you know, maybe the wisest man in, in the tribe. And, uh, you know, instead of uh, 100 uh, people in the tribe uh, dithering while the, uh, uh, the, the lion came according or whatever, or the, the, uh, the, the enemy came according. So I, I think that there is some benefit in, in having leadership. Now, uh, whether it's coercive leadership, I, I, I certainly wouldn't favor, but th there's nothing wrong with leadership. You know, they say anarchists unite is, is a contradiction. That's, that's wrong. Or uh, anarchists are against hierarchy. No, we're, we're not against hierarchy and we're not against cooperation and we're not against leadership. We're only against coercion. So if there's the wise man and, and he's the tribal leader, um, uh, uh, Hans Hoppe is uh, forever talking about elites and there's nothing wrong with elites and there's nothing wrong with authoritarianism. There's nothing wrong with employers bossing employees around. You get these left-wing uh, anarchists who say bossism is, is bad. No, bossism isn't bad. You know, I used to play the, um, uh, the violin in, a, in an orchestra, and the conductor was the leader of the orchestra. And he would, he, with the regard to the wind players, he would even tell them when to breathe. If you play the clarinet and you breathe at the wrong time, he, he stops the whole practice and yells at you. Right. So... You know, that's pretty totalitarian, but, and it's leadership and it, uh, you know. Uh, but it was voluntary, um, but it was voluntary. But it was voluntary. That's the key. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I have a question for you as uh, there's a, all, all different kinds of listeners on the show. And for those who are embracing the principles of self-ownership and, and love the philosophy of libertarianism, but are having a hard time with econ, learning Austrian economics. Yes. Where would you help these newbies start because it's a dry topic. Um, I've read Rothbard, but it isn't easy to read. It, it takes me a little time to, to expand my brain sometimes. And what would you say to beginners? Where would you have them start? What book would you suggest or videos or anything like that? 
Well, I would go to the Mises Institute. Uh, mm-hmm. Mises Institute is the repository of all things Austrian. Now, you just go M-I-S-E-S dot org, yes. Mises dot org, and they'd have tons of stuff. Now, uh, probably the best starting book would be Economics in One Lesson by uh, Henry Hazlitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, great book. Uh, that was, the, you know, there were two books that started me on this path. That was one of them. The other was Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Um, those two books are good. Now, uh, if you start with Murray Rothbard's Man, Economy, and State, or you start with Mises' Human Action, that's not a good way to start. That's, right. uh, that's advanced Austrian economics. But Murray Rothbard has done many, many shorter articles that are really uh, uh, I don't know, Mozartian in their clarity and, and in their beauty. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, what has government done to our money? Uh, things like that. Um, and even his uh, view on uh, his mini book on the Austrian business cycle theory. So uh, I, I think Murray is one of the better writers uh, on the planet. Hazlitt might even be a better writer. But uh, again, I, I think you might have uh, started with uh, Man, Economy, and State or um, uh, uh, some you know very uh, advanced uh, book of Rothbard's. If you start with uh, his miniseries, um, I, I think you'll do better. Do you think that it's imperative for a libertarian to read and understand economics fully? Well, let me break that question down in, into first, do I think it's imperative for libertarians to be an Austrian economist? And I really don't, because there are very, very good libertarians who are not Austrian economists, uh, Chicago economists. Um, uh, David Friedman, for example, is an anarchist, and uh, I, I, he's a very good libertarian. Um, um, Brian Kaplan is a uh, non-Austrian. He's a critic of Austrianism, but I think he's a very good libertarian. So I don't think you have to be an Austrian economist to be a uh, libertarian. But I think it helps. It helps uh, uh, be uh, being Austrian uh, gives you a leg up on on libertarianism because uh, Austrianism is based on the individual uh, human action and and purposefulness and uh, there are a whole bunch of technical reasons why um, Austrian economics is more conducive uh, with liberty than uh, mainstream economics even uh, libertarians like I don't know Gary Becker or uh, Milton Friedman or uh, George Stigler they're all um, Chicago mainstream economists and they are libertarians but they're not as rabid as they could be for example they all favor not david friedman uh i'm not sure about him well uh uh antitrust law and uh, i think even david friedman as a as a mainstream economist would say that the markets can be inefficient and he would uh, he and Mil- and his father i think would agree on this I'm, i shouldn't speak about david but i'll speak about milton because i i uh, wrote about this about milton milton friedman cool. believes that there is such a thing as a market failure A market failure means that if you have pure free enterprise, pure laissez-faire capitalism, uh, there'll be a failure. Uh, Markets will fail. And even Mises uh, uh, fell uh, fell short on this one, and Murray Rothbard corrected him on this. Uh, For example, uh, let's say uh, McDonald's. McDonald's does a good job, and it beats out Wendy's, and it beats out Burger King, and then it beats out the pizza, and then... The only restaurant is McDonald's. That's it. Why? Because McDonald's did a better product at a lower price, and now every other restaurant went broke. Okay. Now, uh, the mainstream economists would say, well, that's a monopoly. And monopoly, uh, they'll draw you some uh, figures uh, (laughs) that I think are invalid, and they'll say, see, there's a deadweight loss. And now the government, if they broke up McDonald's into many, many restaurants, uh, maybe the numbers that we now have, I don't know how many restaurants we now have, 
Uh, if you count McDonald's as one, we must, uh, and Burger King is one restaurant, even though they're a chain. I don't know how many restaurants there are in the country, a hundred thousand different ones. I I don't know. And uh, what the mainstream would say is, well, let's break up the restaurant industry that has come about as one uh, single seller, uh, uh, McDonald's, and uh, let's break it up into uh, 10,000 or 100,000 different restaurants. And uh, Friedman, uh, both Friedmans would say, yes, that, that would be more efficient. But then Friedman adds, but there are costs of breaking it up. There are costs of having antitrust, and we should only pursue antitrust against this uh, super duper uh, single seller monopoly, uh, single seller uh, 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 McDonald's, if the costs of breaking it up and having uh, court uh, decisions are less than the uh, less costly than the inefficiency of of the monopoly. Whereas the Austrians would say, this is hogwash. This is nonsense. Mm -hmm. The only monopoly is when government gives a grant of special privilege. That's right. Uh, In the old days, you know, the the king, uh, the the duke would fight the good fight and the king would give the duke a monopoly over, I don't know, candle making in in a certain area of England. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a monopoly because if you try to make candles without getting permission from him for which you'd have to pay, you go to jail. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But this McDonald's, uh, I'm free to, st- uh, even when McDonald's had the only restaurant, the three of us are free to open up another restaurant in competition. So we say that there wasn't a monopoly. So this is one reason why, yes, it's uh, important to know economics uh, to be a libertarian, because uh, the libertarian is going to say that without government, or uh, that's the anarchist version, or with very, very minimal government, uh, we will have uh, pragmatically, we will have a utilitarian, we'll have prosperity. We don't need the government. The government just messes it up. That's true. So uh, I think we need economics in general. And of all the economics, uh, we need Austrian economics even more uh, because Austrian economics is more, what's the word, um, uh, uh uh, coincidental or more uh, congruent, that's the word I'm looking for, more congruent with libertarianism, even though there's a distinction between um, normative and positive, uh, namely uh, all versions of economics are just positive. They, they talk about what causes what. They don't talk about what's right. right. Whereas libertarianism is a normative theory, it talks about what's right. right. And what's right is keep your mitts off of other people. Very cool. <laughs> really quick, before the commercial break, Walter, I got to ask you a question especially regarding Facebook right now, because there's been a lot of libertarians or people who are not necessarily mainstream media who are getting banned from Twitter and Facebook. And this has been going on now for a couple, about a week now, a week or two. But a lot of people are upset because a lot of people use Facebook to communicate their ideas. But at the same time, you know, back in the day, there was just MySpace and that was it. That was it. If you had to go on social media, it was MySpace. Facebook kicked everyone's butt, and now we have Facebook as our primary tool to communicate with. A lot of people use it. What do you have to say about that? Because it isn't a monopoly, because people could start, could go somewhere else, right? Well, it's a complicated issue because part of the power of uh, uh, Apple and, and uh, Facebook and, and uh, Zuckerberg and all those people that are banning um, uh, Alex Jones and other, uh, uh, Ron Paul's uh, assistant, that they mm-hmm. banned him. Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just ridiculous. Part of their power comes from uh, patents, and but that's a small part of their power. Uh, and as a believer in um, uh, no intellectual property, I, I oppose intellectual property. I I oppose patents. I oppose um, copyrights. I oppose all those things. Uh, I would say that part of their power comes from the government, and that part should be erased. I agree. And then and then what would happen would be that. Uh, 
conservatives and libertarians would say, okay, look, you uh, you lefties, you don't want Alex Jones, you don't want Ron Paul people, uh, you don't want free enterprise, you call it hateful. Okay, uh, fine. Uh, we'll set up our own alternative. Now, the situation is, though, that there might now be, I don't know how many, maybe a, a hundred, maybe a thousand other platforms. Each uh, platform is very small. Look, if we set up a, um, a telephone service for the three of us and the only people that we can call are the other two, mm-hmm. well, it's not really a good <laughs> telephone service. <laughs> you want to have a telephone service, we can call anyone. Right. So you have that problem where uh, you need some sort of amalgamation. So my solution to the problem is first take away all uh, illegitimate powers that the government gave these people. And then second, uh, let's hope that the uh, the 1,000 or 10,000 platforms all get together and say, hey, um, uh, there are a 1,000 of us, let's have a, a corporation and we'll each have one share and, and there'll be a 1,000 uh, shares in this corporation and we'll call it, I don't know, the XYZ uh, platform or whatever you want to call it or the freedom platform or the libertarian platform or whatever. And uh, now we will get over this problem of... Um, uh, everyone, you know, goes to Google or everyone goes to Facebook because now we will have another option where uh, all libertarians, of of which there are, I don't know, five percent of us, and all conservatives, of which there are, I don't know, thirty percent, and now you have thirty-five percent of the population not going to Google, not going to Facebook, not going to these other guys, and we will have a bifurcation. You know, they talk about divisiveness now that the Democrats hate the Republicans, Republicans hate the Democrats. Well, this is going to be the mother of all um, uh, divergencies or uh, bifurcations. So, uh, but, you know, these guys started it. You know, they, they say anything they don't like is hate speech. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, this other group, the the conservative, and, and I don't like, you know, I don't like being aligned with conservatives because the way I see libertarianism, we're equally distant from the conservatives and the liber- and the liberals or the lefty progressives, whatever you want to call them. Yes, uh, we agree with the right a little bit more in economics than the left, but we agree with the left a little bit more in personal liberties than the right. That's right. right. And we disagree with both of them on, on they're both warmongers, you know, they, they never yep. met a war they didn't like. And we're, you know, we only believe in defense, not offense. And the U.S. is very offensive. So I don't like to um, amalgamate ourselves with people on the right. And there is this group called the Federalist Society, which is half libertarian and half conservative. Well, nothing wrong with that, uh, as long as we also join normal. Uh, National Organization for the Repeal of Marijuana Legislation, normal. They're yeah. a bunch of lefties, and we libertarians cooperate with them. So I think it's okay to cooperate with conservatives on certain issues and liberals, uh, progressives on other issues, but we have to be distinct. We libertarians are distinct. We're neither the, of the right nor of the left. That's right. Anyway, so let's blast off with Charlie Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Walter Block, and we're going to have Rocket Fire coming up next. So stick around, we'll be right back. Rock and roll. Why do people hate libertarians? One part of America calls them soulless robber barons who want to stick children back in factories. And the other part thinks they're drugged up anarchists. Who are they? And why have regular Americans been told to avoid libertarians and their ideas? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, Amazon best-selling author of Stay Away from the Libertarians, where I'm going to debunk the myths, misconceptions, and outright lies thrown at libertarians, ranging from the idea that votes can be stolen to the radical notion that you own yourself. From personal stories to a 
ignored history, I lay out the facts and ask you if these dastardly libertarians are as much of a threat as the mainstream media and establishment politicians make them seem. You can go ahead and get a copy in print and in Kindle e-reader on Amazon today. Stay away from the libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Available on Amazon. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. I'm having a blast. I don't even want to ask questions. I just want to listen. I know. I know. We're talking to the the one and only Mr. Walter Block here on Blast Off. Such an honor. Such an honor to talk to Walter Block, one of the most inspiring guys from the Mises Institute Mm -hmm. and and the the pinnacle of libertarianism himself, right next to Murray Rothbard. So uh, anyway, so what we do here on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. Walter, what we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically and philosophically related, and if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Walter, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? I'll do my best, but as I said, I'm a professor. I'm long with it. It'll be difficult, <laughs> to think, but I'll try. Okay, here we go. Question one. How has the welfare system hurt the black family? The welfare system has hurt the black family by breaking it up. No, not even breaking it up, making it impossible for it to form in the first place. Charles Murray wrote this wonderful book called Losing Ground, where he documents that the welfare system is so generous that it pays more to a a, a young girl who's pregnant than the uh, father of her baby. Uh, And it does so on the condition that he stay out of the house. So uh, the welfare system has been a disaster for the black community. Uh, What is it? Three quarters of black kids are now raised uh, without two parents. Uh, Just horrible. Right on. Great answer. Question two. What is the difference between approximate causes and ultimate causes? Uh, proximate cause is something uh, that occurs uh, directly and an ultimate cause is um, uh, indirect. The, the example I give in my book on roads is uh, if, I, uh, if I shoot somebody, the bullet is the proximate cause, but I'm the ultimate cause. I'm guilty. And what I say in, in my book on roads is that the proximate cause of highway fatalities is uh, drunken driving and, and speeding and things like that. But the ultimate cause is government ownership of the roads. If the government didn't own the roads, we wouldn't have 40,000 people a year dying on those Toronto houses. So they're the ultimate cause. The proximate cause is just the, the usual causes, you know, speeding and drunken driving and vehicle malfunction and texting and other stuff like that. The ultimate cause is that the government manages the roads and doesn't uh, eliminate that sort of a thing. And if we had private competing roads, they would. Right on. Great answer. Question three. Why do you think the left thinks trade is exploitative? 
Uh, why do I think that the left thinks trade is exploitative? Oh, yes, the left uh, does think that trade is exploitative. And the only reason that they're against what Donald Trump is now doing is because they hate Donald Trump. But if they had their man in the in the um, uh, White House, uh, they'd be happy to have tariffs. They, they always did. They're, they're not for free trade. Why do I think they uh, think that trade is exploitative? Because they don't know economics. They're economically illiterate. They don't realize that every time anyone trades, they gain in the ex ante sense. I buy a shirt for 30 bucks. I value that shirt at more than 30 bucks. Otherwise, I'm not buying it. And the guy who sells me the shirt values it at less than 30 bucks. Otherwise, he's not giving me the shirt for the 30 bucks. So all the market consists of is buying and selling and renting and uh, the lending and stuff like that. And uh, the market is always mutually beneficial. But the left thinks it's exploitative. They're, they're just um, economically illiterate. Some of them are very bright. But in econ- I mean, Einstein is a very bright guy in physics. But in economics, he was a moron. <laughs> all right. Right on. Question four. Who has more control, consumers over producers or voters over politicians? Oh, consumers over uh, producers way more than voters over politicians. Voters only vote every four years or every two years, and they vote, uh, 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 you know, a package deal. Like uh, if you like uh, Hillary on policies one, three, five, and seven, and Donald on policies two, four, six, and eight, you got to make a package deal. You can't, uh, you can't say, well, I want two, four, six, and eight. Uh, you know, because d- different people have different views. Whereas in in the market, you can pick a a, a green sweater. Uh, a short sleeve green sweater i mean uh, you can narrowly uh, focus your desire whereas uh here you have to pick either donald or hillary there you go question five should we accept social security payments from the government only libertarians should accept um, uh, social security <laughs> and only libertarians should accept um uh, welfare because uh, my favorite character in atlas shrug was a uh, ragnar danish called who took money from government Right. And I think we would be justified in taking money from government because government is a thief. However, if you support government, well, then you're part of the thievery. And then, you know, it's not clear that you should take money from government because that's taking money from one thief to another. But, you know, taking from a bigger thief and giving to a smaller thief. So maybe uh, even uh, 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 non-libertarians should also take uh, welfare and Social Security. The point is, while we have it, you should take it, especially libertarians. But um, we shouldn't have the policies in the first place. Right on. Question six. Do you believe animals have rights? And if so, to what extent? Animals have no rights because if animals had rights, then when the lion killed the zebra, we would uh, uh, get the lion and execute him for murder. Uh, And nobody thinks we should do that. Therefore, even they don't think that animals have rights. Uh, Murray Rothbard said when they can petition for their rights, look, if we go to Mars and we find uh, uh, entities that look half like a zebra and half like an octopus and they say, hey, you know, welcome to Mars. We'll trade with you. We'll we'll be buddies. uh, We'll we'll respect your rights. Well, even though they look a little weird, they would then be rights bearing creatures. But the smartest animals, the dolphins and the chimpanzees are nowhere near smart enough to do that. So they have no rights. Right on. Question seven. Do you believe certain ethnicities are superior to others? Why or why not? Oh, yes, certainly. Uh, Whites are way superior to blacks in uh, swimming. And blacks are way superior to whites in um, basketball. And uh, whites are way superior to blacks in uh, Baroque music. And blacks are way superior to whites in uh, jazz and uh, other kinds of music like that. 
So yeah, sure. The uh, Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams, their entire career has been well. I wouldn't say their entire career, but a lot of their contribution has been showing how some ethnic groups are superior to other ethnic groups in in this or in that or in the third thing. Uh, uh, the Italians are uh, superior to everyone else in leather goods, and the Irish in uh, distillery and 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 stuff like that. But when you say, well, is there one race or, or ethnic group that's superior? Period. Not in a particular area. Well, then that's ridiculous. Uh, because there's no criteria. You can't say whites are superior to blacks, period. Because, yes, whites are superior to blacks in some things, and blacks are superior to whites in other things. And, uh, you know, how do you have a weighting system? W-E-I-G-H-T. You, you can't have any weighting system, so th that's nonsensical. Right on. Question eight. Is transgenderism, sexuality, or any other trans identification a psychological disorder, or is it a legitimate identity for some people? Well, I have a friend whose name used to be Donald um, McCloskey. Yes, and Deidre. whose name is now Deirdre McCloskey, yes. and and she is a friend of mine. And uh, not only is she a friend of mine, but she and I are now going to be co-authoring co a book. And nice. I think she she is one of the most brilliant economists uh, on the planet, and I greatly admire her, and I greatly admire her courage. Uh, so I really can't answer your question. I, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I, I All I can say is I'm friends with Deirdre. I love Deirdre, uh, and um, I'll have to leave it at that. There you go. Question nine. How do you view spanking? Should a parent have the right to spank? Yes, I've been in uh, several debates on that, and uh, the, the point I make is, uh, you know, there's a difference between child abuse and child rearing. Uh, I have two kids, so they're now in their 30s, late 30s, early 40s, and when they were babies, they didn't want me to diaper them. They, they would run away, they would crawl away, and what I did is I engaged in um, assault and battery. Namely, I held them down, and, and I changed their diaper against their will. <laughs> Was I guilty of uh, child abuse? Come on, give me a break. I would be guilty of child abuse if I didn't change their diaper. So children uh, are semi-rights-bearing creatures. They're not fully rights-bearing creatures. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't let my son go out and play in traffic that he wanted to. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it's okay to spank a child if uh, the only way to get him to not run into traffic or, you know, g get him to behave and not pull his sister's hair or something like that is is to spank a little bit of a spanking yeah or even uh, what do you call it a, a timeout a timeout is kidnapping look if i gave you a timeout and i said you got to sit in that corner and you can't move that's kidnapping well, i'm allowed to do that not with you you're an adult but with a with a with a baby or a four-year-old child sure all right man great great answer question 10 is getting a degree or a PhD a smart thing to do? And do you think it adds value to the individual? Well, I was in a debate with Gary North on that. And if you're interested, uh, Google Gary North versus Walter Block. It's on the Mises web. I did it at the Mises University. And I would say a PhD is not good for everybody. Not everybody should get a PhD. I mean, we need airline pilots, we need doctors, we need lawyers, we need plumbers, we need uh, every sort of thing. But if if your uh, interest lies in that direction, probably it would be a good idea to get a PhD, especially in economics, not sociology, uh, because economic uh, uh, jobs, uh, you're more able to get a job as a libertarian in economics than in sociology. Sociology is 100% lefty. Economics, you know, you have some uh, some options. Uh, if you're really interested in pursuing this and you're not good at math and, and math is uh, economics now very heavily mathematical, get in touch with me and I'll send you uh, some information about that. And also, uh, let me just end this by saying um, I'm a professor at Loyola University. I'm always looking for good students. So if you're of student age or you uh, have a son or a grandchild who 
uh, is thinking of college, think of Loyola. And not just me, I've got four, four out of four of my economics department at Austro Libertarian. So uh, that's a pretty good um, record. That's great. That's great. And the bonus question. Walter, uh, this is this is going to be a good one. Who is your favorite statist? <laughs> Whoa, that's vicious. <laughs> that's underhanded. I, I, I wouldn't expect, I thought you were a nice guy. <laughs> favorite statist. Wow. Come on, everyone has one. The only good status is a dead status. So I know that status is my favorite. I don't know. No. The FDR, he's a good status and he's dead. He's my favorite status. But any any dead status is my favorite. Oh my god. And that, that's great. That's Rocket Fire. Give it up for one for block. Awesome job. Awesome. That was great. Oh my god, that was the best answer. The last one was the best answer. Anyways, this is Johnny Rocket here at Blastoff with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Walter Block. We're going to be right back, so stick around. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. to the one and only, the prolific Mr. Walter Block. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Walter, really quick before, uh, give us your dot-coms. Where can people find some more information about you, sir? Um, WalterBlock.com and uh, go to Loyola University, New Orleans and uh, look me up under the economics department and you'll get more than you really want, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Walter Block is on the show. All right, Raylene, take oh, yeah. it away. Okay, actually, I'm going to ask a really uh, simple question because I feel like Walter is so good at talking, I don't want to get in his way. <laughs> what first five things could we abolish right now in our government to inspire and usher in libertarianism and or hopefully anarcho-capitalism? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, th there was that guy, uh, the senator from Texas, who wanted to abolish three departments and he couldn't think of what they were. <laughs> Remember that in one of the debates? Mm -hmm. I forget the guy's name. <laughs> uh, what are the, well, the Fed probably would be one thing to go because uh, the Fed uh, 
percolates throughout the economy and they screw up interest rates and they create the business cycle. Uh, so that would be one thing. Uh, education would be another. Uh, we, we should uh, uh, have privatized education. And, you know, I, I should have mentioned first that the army, uh, the military, uh, the military, I, I think the U.S. is now engaged in six wars, six active wars. And the U.S. has, I don't know, maybe uh, a thousand military bases in 130 countries, and there are only 200 countries out there. So uh, that would be my number one uh, thing. To uh, Ron Paul says, bring the troops back home. When he was running for president, he said, bring the troops back home. And I think that would be a very good thing. And and we don't need that many troops. You know, the, the U.S. military budget is bigger than the military budgets of the next seven countries with the next seven biggest military budgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in, since World War II, I think the U.S. has bombed, I don't know, 40 or 50 different countries. So number one would be uh, let's cut down on the U.S. military. Uh, if we're minarchists, not anarchists, we want a strong military, but one that defends us. Think of a very strong uh, Coast Guard and, you know, this idea of uh, Marines and, and um, uh, Navy and Army and this and that. Uh, it's really not necessary. And now, uh, what's his name? Um, Trump wants to have uh, a space cadets or something like that <laughs> yeah so i guess my, my space, big force, three would, yeah. space force uh, the space big three force. would be um the military the fed and education and after that probably welfare system because the black uh, family is in dire straits because of the welfare system and uh th- that's a, a shame and, and a disgrace uh and then maybe legalize all drugs uh would be another one because a lot of people are being killed over drug turf i mean we, we legalized the uh, alcohol and alcohol is not a good thing and yet nobody's fighting over alcohol turf whereas uh, during prohibition of alcohol we had that so that would be uh, another one that we should do and maybe my favorite fifth one would be the minimum wage law get rid of the minimum wage law because it creates unemployment for uh, uh, th- those people least able to uh, to deal with unemployment namely uh, young people and black people have a, a doubly uh, high rate of unemployment compared to whites and teenagers to adults and black teens have a quadruple unemployment rate uh, compared to uh, white adults so that would be my fifth one right on Okay, so since we're not going to do an after party with you, I do have a question from one of our listeners. Jeff Kyle asks, why do we not see libertarians piggybacking on the coattails of federalism and other constitutional standards to whittle away at the abuse of state power? I get the need to focus on pure fundamentals of liberty, which even the Constitution ignores, but it seems that law can be a good start reigning in the obvious abuses of government power and acquiring the interest of the average person who has no concept of individual liberty, but believes that most laws are just. I'm, I'm sort of puzzled by that. Maybe I'd do better if I could see, uh, you know, see the thing on a piece of paper or on a screen, not just having it written to you. But the one word that jumps out at me there is the word federalism. Uh-huh. Uh, so let me talk about that. I mean, I'm a professor, and that means that if I can't answer a question, I'll answer another one. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do let now. Me. So let me let me talk about federalism, because that's the one thing that jumped out, and I realize I'm being unfair to this questioner, because I don't really fully get it, and we've only got a few more minutes left, so I'm not going to ask you to read it again. Now, most libertarians are decentralists. 
namely we should uh, move power from the uh, from the federal to the state and from the state to the county and from the county to the city and the city to the borough uh, let's have um, uh, power uh, decentralized as much as possible I don't agree with that I uh, I think that we should we libertarians should have no views on federalism uh, on centralization versus, well that's not fair either uh, other things equal I agree with that the the uh, more power is distributed widely the better, uh, the more concentrated, the worse. Other things equal, but other things aren't always equal. For example, Ronald Reagan, when he was president, uh, was trying to get New York City to stop its rent control. And what, what Ronald Reagan was doing is threatening that if New York City didn't get rid of its rent control, he was going to, you know, kick New York City butt. Right. Well, I favor that, even though this was federalism, because rent control is evil. Uh, rent control is an abomination. Rent control is a violation of rights. Rent control uh, leads to um, shortages of housing and, and housing crises. Uh, so there, I favored the federal government over city government. And uh, whether it's a state versus a federal or a, a state versus a city, my question is, Who's on the on the libertarian side? Mm-hmm. If the uh, centralized government is on the libertarian side, I'm a centralist. If uh, the local government is on the libertarian side, I'm a, I'm a localist. So I I'm not uh, uh, a decentralist like most libertarians are. I I think I diverge uh, from most of my libertarian friends on that issue. Right on, right on. I have one more question from Justin Lightheart, which is my husband actually, Walter, because he and I were very excited about me interviewing you. You've met both Ludwig. Von Mises and Murray Rothbard. And he wants to know if you have any any quirky stories or descriptions to share with us because we're all big fans. Well, I uh, am probably the only person alive. No, that's not right. Uh, one of the very few people alive who shook the hands of Ludwig von Mises. And I never washed my hands since. So if it gets a little <laughs> dirty, but if you shake my hand, you uh, you channel Mises. You get a little dirty, but what the heck? It'd be worth it. <laughs> Royal dirt. Uh, when I met uh, uh, Mises, he was very, very old and very hard of hearing, and Percy Graves would answer, uh, uh, ask questions or relay the questions to Mises who couldn't hear them, and then he would bellow out Mises' answers because Mises couldn't speak too well. It was a shame I didn't meet Mises before that. It was the last seminar at the NYU. Murray Rothbard, I was a friend with for, I don't know, uh, I met him in 65, and I was a friend uh, until he died in 98, I think it was. So I was a friend of his for many years, and um, my big complaint about Murray Rothbard is stomach cramps. He would have you laughing for hour after hour in his living room. And it was really Aww. grotesque. And and Murray violated my rights by making me laugh so much. It was just, uh, he was so funny. Even, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the conservative uh, Buckley uh, used to call uh, Murray and his merry band. Well, Murray really did have a merry band. He was just so funny. I mean, my experience with Murray, I'd be reading Manny Communist State all day. And then at night, I'd go play with him, uh, play Risk or be in his living room. And, and I never really could understand that he just wanted to be my friend i I thought i didn't even belong on the same planet with him i mean it's sort of like mozart and bach all rolled up into one in terms of political economy so my life was greatly enriched by being a friend of murray rothbard's and i try to emulate in every way emulate him in every way i can that's a great story walter thank you so much for sharing that man uh yeah that and i also heard he likes jazz music Yes, he did like jazz music. One of his flaws, he should have liked Baroque. I like Baroque. Uh, see, I'm a big jazz guy, so I think me and Murray would have gotten along there. We'd have put on some old uh, records. Yes. That would have, that would have been cool. Uh, anyways, uh, Walter, thank you so much. Give it up for Walter Block here on Blast Off.
Walter, right. thank you so much again, sir. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And man, it, you have you're just spot on and everything. I was like, I'm gonna get Walter. And then and I was talking to my buddy, he's like, no, you're not. You're not getting Walter on anything. He has an answer for everything, and you do. And there it is, man. You're very kind, and thanks for having me on your show again. All right, Walter, have a great night, sir. Johnny and Walter are in the back having some scotch. Johnny doesn't often drink scotch, but it's a special occasion. And Walter has to get going soon, because he's getting old, and it's past his bedtime. Johnny said it was fine, though, because he figured it was a good time to pregame for the after party. But unfortunately, in his excitement over Rothbard's stories, Johnny forgot to end the show, and he just threw me the mic and disappeared. Figures. But anyways, please go to blastoffpodcast.com to hear previous episodes of the show. And if you'd like to hear us talk more about how much of a badass Walter Block is, head on over to patreon.com slash blastoffpodcast and join us for the after party. Admission is only a buck an episode. Hope to see you there. Well, this is Ground Control signing off. Rock and roll. See you next week. 